This is the place where Black is the main character, where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop and BMF. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Once again, everybody, thank you for hopping on board the latest edition of Gun on One, the podcast. It is powered by Patterson Square Garden. I'm Derek Gunn. And, of course, uh, wow, what, what what the Eagles are doing lately is incredible. Just a month ago, we thought they were left for dead. All of a sudden, they, they listen to the media. They listen to the fan base. They're not only running the football, they're running with authority. And all of a sudden, Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts can do no wrong. They're the Pied Pipers of Philadelphia. Now, as for their opponent this week, the New York Giants, they have been spiraling downward all season long. Uh, A Giants faithful are screaming bloody murder. They want changes, and they got a change, which we will talk about shortly. So to talk about the Giants' perspective, uh, I reached out to someone I've known for a few years, and I watched this man. Uh, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I hate it when he played my hometown Green Bay Packers, but that's another story in itself. Uh, this man is a pro bowler, all pro, two-time Super Bowl champion. He's also a member of the NFL's 1980 All-Decade team, the Giants Ring of Honor. He is currently a radio analyst for the Giants games as well. He is the one and only Carl Banks. How you doing, man? I've been trying to get you forever, man. DJ, DJ, I am so happy to be here, man. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, big fan of your work and of you personally. And Thank then, you. you know, I live for your your moments on the grill. You ah. know, we, 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 watch you, we watch you on social media and get our tips, man. So, uh, and then, you know, I know we're going to talk football, but I got to tell you, uh, one of my sons is a grill master, right? Okay. All right? And he travels, he travels the country for different barbecue techniques and, 
So we're going to go, there's, there's a spot in Alabama that uh, we read about that's one of the original, really number one barbecue family owned, been around for like 75 years. And I told them we're going to hit Alabama and do a barbecue tour uh, this summer. So I'll let you know how that go. I'll take some videos for you in case we have a few tips that you haven't heard of. But yeah. I know all your techniques are just, you're, you're like a ninja <laughs> with it. You just told me something about turkey and, and what you have to, what, what you do with a turkey. What, what is that technique called again when you have the, to the tech, Yeah, the technique is called spatchcock. Uh, my wife told me about it. I said, there's no such thing. I looked it up on the internet and man, people are raving about this technique in terms of cooking a turkey faster. And the meat is so go. juicy on it. And of course, I have my own D-gun touch to it with the seasonings and the injections, which I will share with you off camera, but not on camera. <laughs> <All> <laughs> Can't right. tell everybody, but I will All share right, it with exactly. you. But I do, man. If you're going to Alabama, um, are you going to Birmingham? Um, we're going to hit Birmingham. We got a few spots we're going to go to. I have a, a meat purveyor who uh, services a lot of those restaurants, so he's going to kind of curate the tour for us, but we'll definitely be in wow. Birmingham. I wish I could think of the name of it, but I was down there uh, back in 2011 when Leonard Weaver, who played for the Eagles, tore up his knee. It cost him his career. He was with the Philadelphia Eagles, and he invited me to come down to do a story on him rehabbing, and they told us about this barbecue joint in Birmingham. I got to find the name of it, and I'll text you to you when I find it, but this barbecue was phenomenal. You know me. I'm picky when it comes to my cue. Now I love yeah. Kansas, I love Kansas City barbecue. I love South Carolina barbecue with that uh vinegar mustard based sauces. Yeah. Uh, but but this place it was legit. And so I will get you that name to add to your tour. Okay, I appreciate that. Well, uh obviously we are going to talk some football here and um of course the Giants at, at, at three wins up and, and many wins down. I know New York fans are like pulling their hair out. And uh, big news coming out of uh, New York on Monday, um, or Tuesday, I should say, offensive coordinator Jason Garrett, uh, relieved of all of his duties. Considering the way this offense was going, did you see this coming? Yeah, you kind of felt it, uh, DG, because of the money they spent in free agency and then the young talent that they have. And, you know, where they were ranked last year and then this year, again, uh, across all offensive categories, the feeling was that despite whatever's going on with the offensive line, and that's not unique to most NFL teams, a lot of teams have offensive line issues, that their talent wasn't, or that ranking wasn't reflective of the talent. And they, I, and, and they did not uh, believe that they should be this lackluster on offense. And, you know, when you have guys like Kenny Galladay and Kyle Rudolph who are big factors throughout their careers in the red zone, and those guys are not even on the field, when your team gets in the red zone, it's almost tying one hand behind your back because you have guys that are proven um, production guys in that, that area, and you make it easy for defenses. So, uh, the Monday night game kind of felt, you kind of felt after that game that they were going to make a change because they, it just looked so disjointed. Um, and that's, you know, and I, I have a great deal of respect for Jason Garrett. I know him personally, 
and professionally, but it just didn't work out. Mm. Um, it's not like Garrett <clears throat> didn't have weapons, but since he's been there, in the season plus he's been at this team, when I did my homework on the Giants, I was shocked to find out that the Giants have scored the fewest touchdowns uh, among any yeah. team in the National Football League. And how much were injuries a factor? Because the Giants were beat up last year. They were beat up again this year. Well, you know, play that violin for the other 31 teams in the league. Yeah. You know, um, you got a Baltimore Ravens team who entered a game with zero running backs. Like, everybody goes down, right? And they figure out how to win. So uh, injuries are always a factor. And and we, we can't kid ourselves and say, You know, when your top players are out, it doesn't make a difference. But the challenge of every coaching staff is to find the things that your team does well and play to those. It's, you know, sometimes, and this is not directly uh, at at Jason Garrett, but it's across the league. You have some coaches are too smart for their own good. They want to be too gimmicky. But the things that work are the things that work. Right. Uh, You'll see teams repeat plays. Well, this running play works. Let's keep doing it until they stop it. Right. And you find out teams can't stop certain things. You just keep running it. You don't have to get too cute. You don't have to get too gimmicky. You pull the gimmicks out every once in a while. Right. It can't be a part of your your game plan, if you will, that you have to have a grab back play every other play that that doesn't give your team a chance to have success, build on some things that they can do well, because, Mm -hmm. you know, in the Giants case, their offensive line, they can't block certain things. They can't run certain runs, but the things that they can do, you got to build on that and you Mm got to create a package around that. And if you don't, you're not helping yourself. And, you know, when uh, you have free agent signings and you can't find a way uh, to get them in positions to have success, to help you uh, help yourself, then, then you're not you're not doing a service to uh, your ball club. Mm. A lot of people on the outside looking in want to say that the major problem with this Giants team is the offensive line and the organization's lack of commitment to build this line the right way in recent years. Would you agree or disagree with that? Well, it's a valid argument. Okay. Sure. Um, and, they, and they have not developed some of the players that they have. Um, but it also it's worth examining, DG, uh, what can you evaluate your guys and give them things that they can do well? Um, and I say that and this is not a comparison between Russell Wilson and Daniel Jones, but Russell Wilson has never had a great offensive line. Mm-hmm. Right. But they, they do things around his ability in the ability of those guys up front, what they can do well, right? You don't ask them to do things they can't. And you know, by doing that, you you mitigate a lot of the exposure. Now, there are going to be some game situations or in-game situations Mm -hmm. where they're going to be exposed. But that's, you know, maybe 5% of the plays if you can do the things well that they can do. Um, and you're going to always stay in, in in favorable or manageable situations. But, you know, the Giants often find themselves in these third and long situations where you know it's, something's going to break down on that offensive line. Mm-hmm. Give them a third and five, even a third and eight, where your quarterback has a chance to get something done and your offensive line can at least get a hand on somebody. But 
you know, when it gets in those third long situations, that there's just no shot. Mm. Now Freddie Kitchens is taking over, and he had a good measure of success in the Cle- when he was with Cleveland. Do you expect immediate improvement in the offensive flow? Um, I don't. I don't know um, because you're in season. There's not a lot uh, you can do just to overhaul a system, and plus you have a quarterback uh, that has kind of a, a, a understanding of the, the language right now. Mm-hmm. But what I was. What I would venture to say, and it's not just Freddie, because I'm not sure it's going to be 100% Freddie Kitchens uh, designing plays. But what I what I would think is they're going to go back, and which which is something that should have been done during the bye week, go back and look at the plays that they've had success with against teams that are similar opponent. And I say that because okay, if you look at what the Giants did successfully against a very disruptive defensive front in Washington should be something that they would think about against the likes of a Fletcher Cox and company. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to put your guy, you don't want Fletcher one-on-one with any offensive lineman, especially the guards on the Giants. You've got to figure out what you did well to kind of neutralize some of the things that that Washington did with their disruptive front. Um, And then you play on that. Um, You don't have to be in a hurry to open your formation up. Yes, you got some young, uh, very talented wide receivers. There are different ways you can get those guys um, open besides just going to a, a 11 formation and, and just spreading everything out. That's just not conducive to success for you. You were mentioning uh, Daniel Jones just a moment ago. He's got nine touchdowns, seven interceptions. I'm watching him play Monday night against Tampa, and I came away asking myself, because I looked at some of the throws he missed on, and I said, is it a lack of talent or a lack of coaching or a combination of the two? How would you categorize Daniel Jones at this stage of his career? So that's a great question. Um, And, you know, people say, well, is he a franchise quarterback? And I'm going to get I'm getting to your 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 question in a roundabout way. But what defines a franchise quarterback? Right. Not all franchise quarterbacks go to Super Bowls. Not all franchise quarterbacks Mm -hmm. go to NFC finals. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. What you want is a guy who can make good decisions with the football. Keep your game, your team in the game and win a good amount of games. So what you're asking for in terms of a a franchise quarterback is a guy who is average or above average who can play above average football on a consistent basis. And then you can kind of gauge where he is. And so I don't think Daniel Jones is a below average quarterback, but at this point, he's an average quarterback that has to play above average. That's all Mm -hmm. he needs to do. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, he gives his chance, his team an opportunity with the other phases, meaning defense and special teams, to always be in games and to win games and make the decisions with the football. So um, what is Daniel Jones? I think he's an average quarterback that has to play above average. Does he have above average talent? I truly believe that. But he has to play at least average. And there were some fundamental breakdowns in that um, Monday night game. Uh, you could you could tell it was starting to get to him a bit, and his mechanics were off. 
but then again, are they giving him things that he can do that he can build consistency with throughout the course of a game? Now, I'm not about to put words in your mouth, but it sounds to me like it's a lack of coaching up because we always hear that when you have a quarterback, prime example, Jalen Hurts here in Philadelphia, Nick Sirianni initially tried to make him one thing and he wasn't comfortable mm-hmm. in that mode. All of a sudden against Detroit, they flipped the script. They took the ball out of his hands a lot more and they stuck to the running game, but it made him more effective in terms of utilizing his overall athleticism. Could that be the case with Daniel Jones? They're not playing enough to his strengths. 100%. And yeah. I think you can say, you can call it coaching, you can call it schematics, but it all comes down to coaching, right? Coaches mm-hmm. create schemes, right? Coaches have to evaluate their players. So, yes, um, you're not putting words in my mouth. They have to do a better job at yeah. that. Um, and then the other thing, and to your point with Jalen Hurts, you know, not just with Nick, but the narrative – was so much of what he couldn't do, right? And, you know, I don't know if Nick was trying to disprove that myth or just let the kid go out and see what he could do. And then all of a sudden, like you said, in that Detroit game, and I would say in that that uh, Atlanta game too, all of a sudden it wasn't a two-dimensional offense. It was a three-dimensional offense mm. because you could just see the, the, the switch flip with Jalen Hurts. And he started to move like a football player, like he belonged on the field, yeah. right? All of his movements, it wasn't it wasn't robotic. It wasn't, don't do this. Let me think about this. Let me read this. Now you cut on the film. Hey, if, if, if Jalen Hurts sees man coverage and he sees a lot of the defensive players' numbers in his, in his front view, he's taking off with it. There's nothing wrong with that because – everybody's turned their backs and they're running with wide receivers. He pulls it down and runs with it. And he's a hard tackle. He's a hard player to tackle. Mm. Uh, Can he pass the football? Yeah, we see that. But he is using every tool in his toolbox. And he's, he's making that offense better because like you said, when they run the ball, that's one dimension. When they pass the ball, that's two dimensions. And when you have the ball in his hand, he can make great decisions that gives a three-dimensional offense, and that's something a lot of teams don't have. And plus, down in the red area, they're one of the toughest teams to stop in the league right now because of their three dimensions. Mm. When when you played the game, when you were out there with the likes of Harry Carson, Lawrence Taylor, Gary Reasons, man, you guys were wrecking people. People feared playing that Giants defense. When you look at this current Giants defense, is it hard for you to watch sometimes? It's getting better. It's okay. getting better. Um, you know, it's it's it, it, you have to realize too, Derek, that you know the era that I played, the teams I played in, the era I played on uh, in, in the era that Seth Joyner played in. Yep. It's hard to find that. Like like it's unfair to even make those comparisons, right? Okay. An Eagles defense, a Giants defense, even a Bears defense, right? You just like you're living in dreamland. You got all-time greats on those teams, yeah. Right. So to ask a defense to be that is you're 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 asking way too. They're not even capable. <laughs> you know what I mean? You might be able, and I'm not even I'm I'm because I I was a huge fan, and Seth knows this of what Buddy and those guys did in Philadelphia. You'd be hard pressed to find one guy on a team yeah. that could do what those guys did. 
individuals, much less eight or nine of them, right? So it, it's it's hard. Like dominant defenses now, I don't know what that is. Yeah. You know, I don't there, there's nobody, there's there's not a defense that there may be a few that you look at them across the board, you can pick five players that can wreck a game for you, right? Or six players that can wreck a game for you. Uh, we played in an era where every guy, one through 11, and then the sub players, they felt the responsibility to mm-hmm. be disruptive because they didn't want to let the other good players down. It's a, lot, it's a big difference right now. It's a totally different game. And, you know, when you can look at another team and be fan, a fan of their players because they do it the same way you do it and you look forward to – you know, those head-to-head matchups to see whose defense played better, then you know you got something. I don't think that happens in today's NFL. Well, now that you brought it up, let me ask you to you this way then. When you look at those dominant players you play with on that Giants defense, could they have survived and thrived in today's era of football, this pass-happy league we see now? Well, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, most, And you can even accept this. Um a guy like Seth Jordan would never leave the field. Um, we had the difference right now, Derek, and, and I think Ronnie Lott also addressed this too when they said with the rule changes and, and things like that, that's assuming we're not smart enough to adjust, mm. right? We were not we were not just football players. Like most of us were athletes. We did other things in football. We didn't just train in the offseason, you know, uh, you know, uh, taking ropes and beating them on the ground and training one particular muscle group. We were we were athletes, right? Reggie White, the God rest his soul, was in a dunk competition with me, mm. right? So we we were guys that did other things. We weren't just specifically football players. So we understood movements. Our bodies weren't just geared for football. So we were athletic players playing the um our position. So that's why we were so interchangeable um, across the board. Like our players, the Eagles players, you could put them anywhere. Like, and that was the beauty of it because they were so interchangeable. Now they're so one dimensional. So yeah, we would be in this game making a hell of a lot more money. Right. And then we would be talking about what an all time great should look like. What a hall of famer, should look like because right now the, the the game is so different and it's I'm not upset I mean this is what it is right and greatness in this era not necessarily translate into greatness in every era but this is what you have to judge in terms of who's good and who's not and God bless them right but if if uh you have to extract um uh, your best players in today's game and put them in another era could they survive, and vice versa, mm-hmm. right? That's when you can tell who all-time greats are. And there are some really good football, some really great football players playing in the league today. Um, but there's not a an abundance of those players that you can say, I think that guy could play in this era, right? Yep. Um, but I can truly say that if I took a Seth Joyner or a Wilbur Marshall, they would completely dominate this this era of football completely because they could cover, um, they could rush, they could blitz, they could tap, right? Mm. Um, there's so much 
that that uh, the likes of those guys could do. And, you know, even in my group, I mean, if hell, if I couldn't play a linebacker, I'd be a defensive end and get a ton of sacks in today's game. And I could be a linebacker uh, in today's game as well, because, you know, all the success these tight ends are having in the league right now, I guarantee mm-hmm. you that would not happen if I'm on the field. Mm. I guarantee that. Mm. When, when you look at the money flowing in the National Football League today, do you stop and say to yourself, man, I was born a little bit too soon. I wish I'd have been born a few <laughs> years later. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I think, and yeah, in, in, in every decade uh, that preceded us uh, was probably saying the same thing, too, because this is um, – this is a lot of money for a little bit of work, man. They don't practice hard. Nope. Uh, and again, like I said, God bless them because uh, their bodies are going to thank them uh, when their careers are over. Uh, the quality of the game sometimes goes down because I don't think uh, some players, not all of them, I don't think some of them care enough about football um, to really give it their all on Sundays. You know, it, everything is a business decision and, and, Again, with the rules the way they are, and look, they had that, uh, the late Bill Walsh in uh, San Francisco, they ran an operation like that. The Packers ran an operation like that. But those guys showed up on Sunday, and they they played uh, like they wanted to reward the coaches for for letting their bodies stay fresh. Uh, Now it's everything is a game-time decision with some guys. Yeah, I don't have to tell you this, but the the Giants, for for people out there listening who don't know this, the Giants have only had one winning season and one playoff appearance since 2012. They have not gone to the playoffs since 2016. What is the fan base and the media saying up there about about what's going on with this team? Oh, it's it, it, it's it's not pretty. I mean, it's yeah. the, the fans are are irate, are unjustifiable. Um, they they deserve a better product than that than that of which they're paying to see. Um, I think Joe Judge is the right coach for this team, uh, but they got to get it together and they got to get it together fast and start to show some improvement. And um, I think one of the reasons why Jason Garrett is no longer the offensive coordinator is that they think they can do a better job in terms of getting this quarterback to play above average, getting these tools offensively that they have um, the ability to make plays. I mean, when you look at this offensive, uh, the wide receiver core, right? You've got speed, you've got experience, um, and you've got size in some areas. And and so you've got a complete package that uh, if you can utilize them right, your quarterback is so much better um, because you can look, your quarterback can look and find the mismatch. You've got you know, guys who can burn it. You got, you know, a guy who got size and then a guy like Evan Ingram, who's kind of a forgotten man, um, who can can also create some problems, especially, you know, by personnel grouping. You know, you mm-hmm. can you can create some mismatches. So and it doesn't have to always be spread them out and let the quarterback read it. You can you can pack them in and still know who's got who and, and know where your favorable matchups are. I know Dave Gettleman isn't a fan favorite up there right now. Why do you think he's been able to survive all this up to this point? Um, so Dave Gettleman knows a lot of football. He, he's, he knows how to evaluate players. Um, 
a lot of people thought he was is, is out of touch. And, you know, with that that job, you know, you, you've got to hit on some players. You've got to have something that have people talking to make you forget all the misses. And you talk to any general manager in the league, they all have more misses than they have hits. Hmm. But the hits make you forget the misses, right? And that's the thing that 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 Dave did not do early on. There were not a lot of hits and more misses. And now um, you got a guy like Kadarius Tony who could be a hit for you, but they're not utilizing him, right? And then you've got the free agents that he put on this roster um, that are not being utilized. And now all of a sudden it's like, well, what is he doing? Does he even know what he's doing? Um, but he does. But the reality is, you know, picking players is not an exact science, and you gotta have it. You gotta have it right, you know. And one of the things that uh, Dave won't get credit for um, is he had to clean up some stuff in the locker room to kind of uh, clear the deck for a, a, a good foundation to be poured. And I think in doing so, he may have overcorrected, uh, where there was a single flag on a guy. Uh, red flag, they walked away from him, you know, because of the DeAndre Bakers of the world and a few other guys that, you know, first round draft choices that you took a chance on. All of a sudden, they, they just flamed out or got in trouble. And then other guys, you know, that, that were in senior leadership that were uh, not necessarily uh, rising, raising the level of play of the younger players. So if they're looking at a guy who happens to be really good, right? But he's only wants to be good for himself. Yep. His habits, his habits don't, you know, the rising tide floats all boats, right? Well, his habits don't float them boats because this guy knows what he has to do on Sunday. But, you know, um, Monday through Saturday, what is he doing to get the other guy? I don't want to hear your problems. Go away. I'm worried about me, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, those type of players... If those are the sole senior leadership in your locker room, though they may be good, they don't help the other players because then the other players start to develop bad habits Mm. and they're not as good as that guy. And so the chemistry of a locker room is something that that, um, general managers also have to look at. You know, there's a dynamic in there and it's a delicate balance. Um, so he wanted to clean that up, and then he was adverse to drafting certain players because one or two things popped up. But, you know, the DeAndre Baker thing, the fact that he survived that uh, probably said to him, I can't take any chances. So mm. uh, whatever happens with Dave Gettleman, whenever he leaves the organization, um, he will have left it in better shape for the next guy because um, the next guy is not going to have to clean up messes. I know people don't know that you like to slip in and out of Philadelphia every now and then. I know you peek in on the Eagles occasionally. What do you think about the way they're running the football down people's throats right now? The last four games, they're averaging 217 and a half yards a game rushing in a passing league. It's impressive. But, you know, the thing about it, like I said, um, they are a three-dimensional offense now. Yep. At first, they were just a two-dimensional offense. Stop the run make Jalen Hurts beat you with the pass, right? Now it's it's run, pass, and Jalen Hurts, who can do both. Um, and that's that's very impressive. And, you know, what we consider a passing lead, all of a sudden, 
the teams that can run the ball are more involved, right? Yeah. You look at look at what uh, the Patriots are doing right now, right? True. True. They're running the ball, and see, here's here's what happens, and and and, and I give uh, Nick and his staff a lot of credit. They are understanding how defensive personnel makeups are, right? These guys ain't built to stop the run. These guys are built to rush the passer and to uh, to cover in man defense, right? Uh, so draft choices, training, everything they do is around a passing league and occasionally a run. So you look out on the field and the, the Eagles defense, right? on the second level was susceptible to that early on too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but that front line started to play a hell of a lot better. When they turn it on, everybody around them gets better, right? But their linebackers early on were kind of exposed. And all of a sudden, you know, when that defensive front started to play better, their fits became cleaner. They were able to make better, better uh, football plays, right? And they didn't have to worry about, you know, trying to get off blocks and things like that. Their their reads were more defined. Um, and then, you know, you got one of the best corners in the world out there in, in big play slay. So he can hold his own and you just don't want to have to throw at him, period. Because mm-hmm. it's 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 not even a 50-50 proposition. It's a losing proposition when you throw at him. Uh, I'm going to make you cringe just a little bit right now because – I'm going to give you a stat that you don't want to hear. The Eagles have won 20 of the last 25 encounters with the Giants. The Giants, as we know them right now, do they have a chance this Sunday against the Eagles? Uh, We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) That's a great politically Uh, correct answer. Listen, no, I I, I really don't know. Um, The thing, you know, they play on Sunday. Uh, They're not going to cancel the game because the Giants only won three. Right. Uh, so they're going to have to show up and they're going to have to win the football game. Um, and hats off to the Eagles because they do have the Giants number. It's been that way for a very long time. Uh, even when uh, the Giants seem to have a sure victory, the Eagles find a way to pull it out. And uh, that's just the way the rivalry goes. But it's not it's not cringeworthy. It's it's a fact. I mean, let's yeah. let's see it for what it is, you know, yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens on Sunday. I, I don't know. Like, the Giants played them tough uh, last year. Uh, they let one literally slip through their, their hands at the end of the game, um, which should give them some reason to believe, well, maybe, you know, personnel-wise, we could, we could match up a bit. I don't know uh, because they're not playing well, and the Eagles are playing extremely well. So yeah. um, they're going to have to get a lot of things corrected uh, with their self opponent before they can even, you know, think about how they're going to play against uh, the, the physical opponent uh, in, in Eagles. I have just a couple of questions left to ask you before I let you go. And again, I thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Um, going back to when you played the game, which division opponent did you hate the most? Yeah. Um, I think the, the opponent that, that I hated the most was Washington. Okay. The opponent that was the biggest challenge was the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, you look forward uh, to playing the Eagles because they were like the ultimate challenge. And obviously, uh, Randall Cunningham uh, was just such a difference maker um, in terms of how you played the game. 
And, you know, I tell people all the time, there was not a single player in the NFL that kept me up at night other than Randall Cunningham. Wow. Because of just the things he could do. Uh, and it wasn't out of fear, but just, you know, you just you just stayed up thinking about all the things you would have to do to try to stop the guy. You know, and it was it was a fun challenge. We always looked forward to playing against him and, and uh, somehow trying to figure out how to stop him because he did, he did everything. So uh, it was the biggest challenge was always the Eagles uh, because we had a, a healthy respect yet dislike for each other. Um, but like I, I, nothing made me want to beat the the, the 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 Washington Redskins more. I mean, it was just I just hated them. They were just <laughs> that's the team that you hated. What quarterback did you enjoy sacking the most, for whatever the reason may be? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, he's thinking. Oh, he's thinking about it. No, 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 no. It's a, it's an easy one, um, and it was Jaws. <laughs> Why it was, Jaws? It was Jaws because Jaws couldn't get out of the way. Man, Jaws was like there were times <laughs> where you know Jaws. When you sack Jaws, he's got limbs flying all over the place, <laughs> leg one direction, arm the other. He just he was the. He was the guy that that took the ugliest sacks, man. When he got sacked, it was just ugly. It was just ugly. So we used to love that. But you know, once once Randall took over, we had to we had to uh, shift our focus somewhere else. But he was the guy that you enjoyed sacking the most. Final question to you: um, Every site that I've looked at through the years, and even when I researched uh, our discussion for t- today. Um, I wanted to look at who was the who were the greatest linebacking core in the history of pro football, and the the era you played in that group you played with with Lawrence and Harry and Gary are always rated in the top five. Why did you guys complement each other so well? Um, I think part of it was our understanding of each other's responsibilities. One of the things that um, was mandatory for us under uh, Parcells and Belichick is that we had to learn every defensive position, like literally learn it and we have to practice it. So uh, if there were end of game situations and I had to play cornerback or Lawrence had to play cornerback just so that we could get a jam on a wide receiver to get him out of bounds, he needed our mm-hmm. men, right? We had to know. What was, what was expected there. If we had to be a, a down lineman, we had to know not just the pass rush piece of it, but if they ran the ball, what would be our responsibility? So, yeah. um, and then we became so interchangeable within our linebacker ecosystem, um, which gave us the flexibility to bring guys in, in, in um, unaccounted for ways because I could line up one place and I knew where Gary Reasons had to be when the ball was snapped, if it were a pass. So I could leave my area on the line of scrimmage and get to his area uh, with a great deal of, of, of precision so that, that, you know, if he blitzes and the quarterback says, okay, I'm going to send a slant right into that area, yeah. I might end up running right with that slant. Man, I, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, uh, taking some time to talk to me here on Gun on One. Ladies and gentlemen, he is the one and only 
Carl Banks, one of the greatest linebackers ever to play the game. We thank you for hopping on board with Gun on One, man. Thank you for having me, PG. Absolutely. And, of course, you follow him on all his social media platforms. And if you're in the New York area, listen to him uh, as, as a radio analyst uh, for all the Giants games. WFAN, correct? That is correct. All right. You and, know, listen. Uh, Bob yeah. Hopper and I, yep. Bob Hopper and I, my broadcast partner, we have a podcast, uh, Papa Banks. Oh, okay. Podcast on, so that's uh, also, so I, I tweet about that all the time as well. Well, I'll make sure whatever you tweet, I'll retweet it for you as well, my friend. You got it. All right, right, everybody, that's going to wrap up this latest edition of Gun on One, brought to you by Patterson Square Garden for Carl Banks. I'm Derek Gunn. Hey, thanks for listening in each and every week. And as always, tell you, stay blessed out there. But more importantly, be a blessing to each and every person you encounter. And Carl, before I forget my manners, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours as well. To you and yours as well, BG. All right. Until next time, so long, everybody. Gun on One is a production of D-Gun Enterprises in Patterson Square Garden. Elvin Shabazian and Wes Pendleton are the executive producers on behalf of Patterson Square Garden. Lead producer is Derek Gunn. Associate producer is John McNeil. Sound design, mixing, and mastering by Elvin Shabazi. Original music by Weatherman. For more information about the podcast, visit gunonone.com. And please, don't forget to subscribe and give us a positive rating if you're feeling the show. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.